All right, here we are, part two in our series, Where to Turn. So we're talking about Psalms that light the way, and this morning, you can see, we're talking about where to turn when happiness eludes you. Now, a couple things here as we begin. First of all is this, uh, I think um, all of us have this in common, all of us want to be happy. I I would venture to say there's not one person in this room right now or watching on video, that doesn't want to be happy. Don't worry, be what? That's what we want. I mean, even our Declaration of Independence says, we have three inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Benjamin Franklin was once giving a speech on the guarantees of the Constitution, and a heckler shouted out, ah, them are just words. Where's all the happiness you're talking about? And Franklin responded, the Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. Let me ask you a question. Have you learned the secrets of catching happiness? Because the Bible gives them, really. Another introductory thought about happiness. Although it's highly valued, it's not highly experienced by the average person. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think that's the truth. If I were to ask you to give me one word that describes our American culture, I doubt any of you would choose the word happy. Uh, Maybe disillusioned, or violence, or godless, or depressed. But I'm not sure many of you would say, yeah, the word that describes the United States is happy. Psychologists tell us that One of the greatest problems facing American people is depression. Every single night, Americans consume four tons of sleeping pills. Happiness has all but eluded our country. And and sometimes, even for us as Christians, we have to be honest. Circumstances, life comes crashing in on us. Things happen that we never would expect. And it seems like Happiness just kind of slips from our grasp. So where do we turn when happiness eludes us? And the answer is, we turn to Psalm 1. We're teaching you in this series where to turn in the Psalms when different issues hit us. And when happiness eludes us, and if that's you this morning, wow, God has brought you here for a reason. This psalm is a wisdom psalm that tells us how to live to be happy. Now, as I shared with you last session, there are different categories of psalms, and Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And notice if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 1, and look if you would at the key word for the whole psalm. And it kicks off by saying, blessed or blessed is the one. Now that word blessed or blessed is the Hebrew word asher. Asher is, it's an adjective in verse 1, in its noun form, it's the name or the word Asher, literally the happy one. And you remember that Jacob, uh, he had an eighth son that he named Asher, which means the happy one or the fortunate one. So you could read verse 1 of Psalm 1, verse 1, happy is the one who lives out this psalm. As a matter of fact, Asher is plural here, so it means exceedingly happy magnanimously happy is the person who lives out 
the wisdom that's revealed in this psalm. Uh, one more point about Asher that I discovered. To become Asher, to become happy, you must do something. You must do something. Every time the word is used in the Old Testament in its adjective form, it's used to describe someone who has done something to be called that. The theological workbook of the Old Testament says this, quote, to be Asher, a man has to do something. Usually this something is positive, end quote. So Psalm 1, it gives us the positive things we should do or actually not do to become Asher, to become contented, to have this inner sense of well-being. And that's the Hebrew word of this Asher, this sense of happiness. We're not talking about a superficial giddiness, but a deep sense of uh, well-being. It's happiness of the soul. So let me ask you a question. Where do you turn when happiness eludes you? The answer is Psalm 1, because that is God's description, prescription for a happy life. And this tells us actually how happiness works. And this morning I want to give you three ways that happiness comes to us, three principles that, that are revealed in the psalm about hap how happiness works. Because for some of us, we, we may have gotten off course and it just feels like life's robbing the happiness we used to have from us. And how do we get back to that? You have to do something. And there's three things that you and I need to do if we want to be, I mean, really happy. Number one is this. Happiness comes when we say no to the downward pull of evil. Now, I don't know if you've noticed in your life, but evil has its own gravitational pull. It's like a vortex, and once it catches us, it kind of pulls us into that. And, and evil is all around us. But happiness comes by not getting caught in that vortex. Now, I don't know what the vortex looks like for you, because it looks like something different for everyone. But the psalmist is going to tell us in verse 1 what the happy person does not do. The happy person is a person who avoids this downward pull of evil that's all around us. And I would venture to say, as you think about your life, the times when you have been most happy have been those times when you said yes to avoiding those sinful tendencies or that pressure, when you gave in, when you compromised, when you didn't say no to the vortex of evil, happiness was just pulled away from you. But in those times you said no to those areas of temptation, that's when happiness is sustained in your life. One young person said this, and it's kind of graphic, but this young person said, you know, sin, sin sucks. It sucks. You know, it sucks the life out of you. It sucks the joy out of you. Sin will suck the happiness out of your life. Now, let me give you three ways that happiness comes, though, to us when we say no to that downward pull of evil. And these are, I'll give these to you by way of principles and they come out of verse 1. Number 1, happiness comes when we say no to walking in step with the wicked. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the one, magnanimously happy is, 
the person who does not walk in step with the wicked. Now let's talk about the wicked. The wicked, that term in Scripture, is used to always depict those who reject God. A wicked person is a person who philosophically in their mind or behaviorally in their life puts God on the shelf. For us to walk in step with the wicked is to allow that person, their rejection of God philosophy or their rejection, their rejection of God lifestyle, to stop rub, it starts rubbing off on us. To walk in step with the wicked is for us to start to live like God doesn't exist. Or to behave like God doesn't exist. Whenever we do that, happiness leaves us. And unhappiness begins to set in. You see, a life that leaves God out, that life is never happy. Let me give you an illustration of this. Years ago, um, one of our sons lied. And you know what's worse than lying is what? Getting caught in that lie. And probably all of us have before. And in a moment, I remember our son was just crushed. This was out of his character. And his happiness gone. And I asked him, I said, why did you lie? And I'll never forget, he said, because a bigger kid told me to lie. (laughs) And I said, son, like any of us would say to our kids, you are always going to have people telling you to do certain things, but you need to make the choice to do what is right. Our son walked in step with the wicked and he paid the price. And And beloved, it's no different for you and me, even today as adults. If we walk in step with the wicked, we're going to pay the price. Sin sucks the happiness from us. But happiness comes, it remains, when we say no to walking in step with the wicked. And I believe you've had a lot of experiences that would testify to that as well. Let me give you a second way happiness comes to us. When we say no to this downward pull of evil. Happiness comes when we say no to standing in the way of sinners. You look at, again, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or, this is a little bit deeper, stand in the way of sinners. Now, sinners are those who live lives in rebellion to God. The Hebrew word for sinner is the word that means to make a loud noise. Or cause a tumult. Or to make trouble. A sinner is like a prodigal, a rebel, who, who just lives loudly and recklessly in rebellion against God. And to, to stand in the way of sinners is to, not to associate with sinners because Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? But it's to allow your standing in association with them and they start to rub off on you. And you start to take on their sinful ways and practices, and this can happen subtly or overtly, and, and it often comes to us when we are vulnerable. And I remember when I was a, a, an eighth grader, we moved from uh, actually San Ramon to Crow Canyon Road, and, and here I am just at the beginning of my eighth grade year, and I go to a brand new junior high as merciless. That is just a tough time in your life. You're trying to fit in. It's just awkward, right? Ugh. And I remember I'm at Earl Warren Junior High, And I'm trying to fit in. Make friends is so tough. And I remember one of the things we would do is we'd go out into into actually the the yard where the yard duty was and just the playground, whatever, the basketball court, just outside. 
and we were taking our uh, fruit, our apples and oranges, and we were throwing them at the seagulls, just as kids, you know, just, and the yard duty did not like that. So she talked to the principal, and the next day the principal met, there is no longer any fruit allowed to be thrown at the seagulls, you know, making this law that's coming down. And we're like, bummer, what are we going to do with this fruit? And we're like, well, why don't we just throw it at the yard duty? I know. So there's this little posse of guys. We hide around the corner of literally one of these, you know, buildings. And they're like, okay, who wants to throw it at the yard duty? Mark, why don't you do it? The pressure is on, trying to fit in. I, I still can't believe to this day how I got out there and threw an apple and hit that yard duty in the head. Now, long story short, I completely lost my happiness, I want you to know, as a result of what happened after that, okay? If we, I would, if we walk in step with the wicked and we start standing in the way of sinners, I would never do that on my own. But I was vulnerable, and the enemy knows when we're vulnerable. He wants to wipe our happiness away. And if he can just attack us and get us to pressure and to fall in line, oh man, can he ever rob us of our happiness. But when we say, no, I'm not going to stand, I'm not going to associate, I'm not going to allow that to influence me, wow, our happiness remains. Let me give you a third thing. Happiness comes when we say no to sitting in the company of mockers. Are, are you seeing what's going on, the digression here? It's going from walking to standing, and now it's sitting. This is a deeper uh, decline here. Happy is the one. He doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit now in the company of mockers. Mockers are those who defy God. They scoff at any suggestion that God is real. They laugh at moral principles. They attack divine standards. They, they ridicule holy living. They begin taking the name of Jesus in vain, and you're around this, and it's influencing you whether you believe it or not, and it's starting to rub off on you. Wow. Let me just, an observation. Never is a mocker of God happy. Never. Nothing will ruin your happiness quicker than actually sinking to the point where you begin mocking God with your association it, that, or just even with your behavior or your words. But happiness comes to the person who says no to that kind of living, but can maybe even still be around it if you're able to have an influence, which we're called to be salt and light in our world, but we're not called to allow that world to begin rubbing off on us. Because if it does, our happiness, wow, it dissipates. But you know what? I know there are many, many testimonies here of many of you who, in, in the midst of living in the world, you said, no, I'm not going to fall for that, and you're taking a stand, and happiness remains. This is the first choice, the first, first decision to make for happiness to be uh, part of our lives. And I'd like you to talk about that at your table. Can you share about a time where you experienced happiness because you said no to the downward pull of evil. Take a moment, talk about that at your table. Someone's got a story, go for it. Okay, we're talking about three ways that happiness works. Three 
ways that happiness comes to us. Happiness comes to us when we say no to that downward pull of evil. But then there's a second thing. Happiness second comes to us when we say yes to God's word and yes to God's way. So question, are you saying yes to God's word and God's way? If yes, if that's the case, if that's your lifestyle, then you're going to be happy. But if you're fighting God's word and you're pushing away God's way, you're just, you're not going to be happy. Because a life in conformity with God's word and God's way is a happy life. See, God created you. He knows how you should function. But if you resist that or you're ignorant of that, you're going to struggle being happy. Um, now, that may sound way too simplistic for you. And you're going, you kidding me? I came here to hear that. But my job is just to teach you the Bible. And this is some of the most powerful life-changing uh, moments for you is when you take a simple truth and believe it and just start living it out. And the simplest truth I can give you, you read and follow God's word, you're going to be happy. You don't read and follow God's word, you're going to be unhappy. It's as simple, and that is what this psalm is teaching us. I'm called to teach the Bible. Now, remember, to be Asher, to be happy, you have to do something positive. What is the positive thing I must do? And the Bible is so clear in this psalm. You just have to say yes to God's word. And yes to the word that you're reading and say, I'll follow your way, Lord. If you do that, you're going to be happy. Now, let's put this into a couple of principles. Happiness comes when we say yes to delighting in God's word. Now look at verse 2. Again, verse 1 is the key word, blessed or blessed. It means happy, magnificently happy is the person who doesn't do this, but then verse 2 says what they do do, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now let's talk about the law of the Lord first. The law is the word Torah. Originally it referred to the first five books of the Bible, but then it became the whole entire Old Testament. And for us today, really, the law of God is all the 66 books in the Bible. It's a general understanding of God's word uh, as recognized in those 66 books. It's the Bible. And the psalmist is saying the person who is happy, the person who is full of joy and happiness, delights in all of the teaching of the Bible. To delight in the Bible is not just to read the Bible, but it's also to love the Bible so much that you want to live it out. So let me just ask you, are you delighting in God's Word? I mean, what do you delight in? I mean, just honestly, what do you delight in? We can delight in our children, we can delight in our job, our spouse, our car, uh, recreation, all sorts of things we can delight in, and all those things can be fine to delight in. But if your number one delight on the top of your list is not God and his word, you're going to struggle being happy. I just need to share that with you. Because this is part of the recipe God's given us for a happy life. Why? Because a happy life is a life that is brought into conformity with God's will and God's way. And the only way you get God's will and God's way for your life is by delighting, is loving the word of God. The most miserable person in the world is not a non-Christian, but a Christian who is not living their life in the ways of God. 
But the happiest person in the world is not a non-Christian. It's a Christian who is smack dab in the middle of God's will and God's way for their life. Think about your life. The times when you have been most happy is when you are living out God's word. And you know you're in God's will. And there's this joy and this deep-seated meaning. And, 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 and you just, you're fulfilled because you're in the will of God. There's nothing like that. I mean, the times in my life where I'm happiest is when I'm fully doing the will of God. Which for me is, part of it is preaching like this. I mean, I'm contented. This is wonderful. When I go overseas and I'm with people from other cultures, God's called me to that. I'm never more happy than when I'm on the mission field, wherever. It's just like, this is, I know I'm in God's will. Now, how can I know God's will and God's way for my life? What is the key thing that I need to do so that actually, Pastor, I want to be in God's will, I want to be in God's way, but I don't know always what it is. How do I get there? Here's the key. Happiness comes when we say yes to meditating on God's word. And this is what verse 2 says. Happy is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and what? Who meditates on his law day and night. Now watch this. God would never give us something to do that we can't do. And for some of us, we think, wow, meditating on God's word all day and all nights? You're thinking that's just impossible. It's not. It is not at all impossible. As a matter of fact, you should be doing this. If the only time you're meditating on God's word is on Sunday, you are not going to be living a happy life. All throughout the day, there should be a verse of scripture you're meditating on, you're thinking on, in the midst of work and everything else you're doing. The people I know who are most happy, they're in the Word of God. The Word of God is in their heart. They're thinking about it. It's written all over the place, in their car, you know, on their mirrors. They're into God's Word. And that's what it means. That's the, the prescription for a happy life. Now, you've got to look at your life. Do you want to be happy? What you're doing, if it's not resulting in happiness, don't continue to do it. Change your ways. Start meditating on just one scripture. When's the last time you've memorized a verse of scripture? You could do that this week. And you just watch what it's going to do to your life in terms of your happiness. It will blow you away. Some of you have heard this forever, but you've never applied it. And for some reason, the world causes you to think, or the enemy, that you can't memorize a verse of scripture. Why not go for it and just see what God will do? Wow. And by the way, do you know who has God's will and God's way for your life? You and God. It's not you and Pastor Mark, or you and your best friend, or you and, you know, a counselor. It's you and God. And God wants you to spend time with him, delight in his word so much that he would reveal to you his will and way for your life, for your marriage, for your lack of marriage, for work, for decisions you need to make in your finances, for those kids and grandkids and all the kind of stuff that you're dealing with. God is like, I have the way for you. I want to shed light on your way, but you've got to be in my word, delighting in it, loving it. And as you do so, wow, what a difference that's going to make for your life. Now, to meditate just simply means to roll over in your mind and in your heart the Word of God so that you can live it out. That's what it is. It's kind of like the picture of a cow chewing its cud. 
You ever seen a cow just sitting up on a hill? What are they doing? They're like, aren't they an interesting being that God's created? And they're, I'm just, you know, just like this. And they'll chew and, you know, they're eating food and then they swallow it and then they, yeah, up again. They eat it some more and then they swallow it and then they're like, Ugh! I know, isn't that bless you? You're ready to go to lunch now, okay? But they're getting every single nur- nurturing out of that food they can. Some of us, it's like you are a microwave Christian. <laughs> you need to take some time and just meditate on the word of God versus running through life thinking that you're going to find happiness by coming to followers and hearing a message. No. It's a lifestyle that changes. You say no to the downward pull of evil and you start saying yes to meditating on God's word to get his way into your life, his will into your life. It's going to make such a difference for you. Um, here's a question I just want you to think about on your outlines. What will happen to my life if I start to meditate on God's word so I can live out God's way? The answer is this. You'll become a happy tree. Now, I want you to think about that because that sounds really strange. But remember, the Psalms are poetry. You're reading Hebrew poetry in all the Psalms. And here the psalmist right now is going to talk about how we are all different types of trees. Now, what kind of tree are you? What kind of tree do you want to be? I got to be honest. Some of us are sad trees. <laughs> we're a weeping willow. No, just joking. <laughs> Maybe we're a depressed tree. Maybe we feel like we're a defu- dysfunctional tree or a discouraged tree. I don't know how you would describe yourself, but watch this. You can become an asher, happy tree. You meditate on God's word. Say no to that downward pull of evil. It's, it's all about the choices you and I make. Now, look if you would at verse 3. It describes that. This person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Wow. Planted by streams of water. That's rooted and secure in abundant nutrients. That's a Christian who says, I'm going to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. That's going to feed your tree, so to speak. It yields its fruit. Fruitfulness, that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's happiness. That's what happiness looks like. Fruit-bearing tree. Leaf does not wither. That means you're healthy, you're not drying up. Prosperous. That, that's not talking about on the outside but inner joy and peace and satisfaction. I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of tree. And that's what God promises. But we got to say no to the downward pull of evil, and we got to say yes to God's word and God's way. we got to say, yes, I will meditate on your word, Lord. Sorry, there's no easy way to get at happiness. And yet, in many ways, it is so easy. How difficult, truly, is it to meditate on the word of God? As your time goes in God's word, so will your happiness go. I mean, your, your, your quiet time, and you've heard me, I, I'm, I'm just trying to love you with this. The most important thing about my life is the time I spend every single day in God's word. 
Not to prepare for a sermon, but to feed my soul, my tree, my roots, so that I can bear the fruit and be the happy pastor or whatever that I am. I'm not saying I don't have times of difficulty. I go through, please understand, my world gets rocked. But the thing I do is I say no to the downward pull of evil. I say yes to God's word. I get my nose in this book. And for me, I read two chapters in the Old Testament every day and two in the New Testament every day. That's just what I do. And I don't just read it. I meditate on it. I journal every single day. I'm a busy guy. If I can do it, you can do it. You really can. It takes a change of your lifestyle, though. It takes getting up earlier. You can do this. You really can. And I pray the Holy Spirit will just love you and say he's brought you here and he sees the pain you're going through. But guess what? You can change the way you do life to include the Lord and man, what a difference it'll make. Really, it really will. I'd like you to talk about this at your table because I know there are people at your table who they used to try to live their Christian life or their life apart from God's will, God's word, and God's way and it resulted in like a train wreck. But then the Lord got a hold of you, and you've changed some of the ways you manage your life to include God's word, meditating, and it has transformed your level of happiness. And I want you to talk about that. You haven't arrived. You're not boasting. You're giving God the glory right now, giving a testimony at your table about what the Lord has done in your life. And here's the question. Can you share how saying yes to God's word and God's way has led to your happiness? Take a moment. Talk about that. Okay, we are talking about three ways that happiness works. Three ways that happiness comes to us. If we do these three things, happiness results. Happiness comes when we say no to the downward pull of evil, this vortex that's all around us. Happiness comes when we say yes to God's word and God's will and God's way, which comes by meditating on scripture daily. Third, Happiness comes when we say, wow, <laughs> to our favorable position compared to the wicked. Now, sometimes when, we, when we're unhappy, we just need to remind ourselves of how really good we have it. Amen? I mean, it's easiest for us to forget how blessed we are, especially when life comes caving in on us, we can get negative, but we forget the big picture. And we can begin focusing in on what we don't have, and before we know it, depression sets in. It's all a matter of perspective, and this is kind of how the psalm ends. Uh, I, I've never quoted from the company Toyota before that I know of, but here it is. I heard this quote, and I go, that'll preach. And here's the quote. Happiness isn't what you have, but the ability to enjoy what you've got. Happiness isn't what you have, but the ability to enjoy what you've got. And the psalmist concludes Psalm 1 by contrasting two types of people. And by the way, there's only two kinds of people in the world today. Don't get overly confused or make it more complex than what it is. Like one old preacher said, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. <laughs> I love that. You're a saint or an ain't. That's it. And, and the psalmist, he ends this psalm by saying, you're either righteous or you're wicked in how you stand before God. And I want you to notice these two categories or positions before God and the consequences attached to each of these positions. Because we forget, it's so easy to forget what God has saved us out of and who we are now, what we have. 
First of all, position number one, the wicked. Those outside of Christ have no reason to be happy. (laughs) I mean, lest us think there's any happiness in being wicked, God dispels that thought right here and now. Watch this. Now, there may be temporary pleasures that come from wickedness, but there's no enduring happiness that comes from being a wicked person in your position before God. Listen to the way that God describes the wicked person. He says three things. Remember, this is all about happiness. And then in verse 4, he says, not so the wicked. They're not happy is what God's saying. He says, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. You know, chaff is the worthless husk of covering over a piece of grain that was just useless. It was just discarded. It would be blown away in the wind. One commentator uh, says this, the imagery of chaff reveals both the uselessness of the wicked and the ease with which God will deal with them. Even as the winnower casts the chaff to the afternoon breeze, so the Lord will drive the wicked away. We might say that chaff is like the wrapper on a candy bar. It's good for nothing but to be tossed aside and blown away by the wind. Wow. You look at verse 5, and it says this, uh, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. The psalmist is not saying that that the wicked will not be in the judgment. They will be. It's just that they are not going to stand in the judgment. Do you know every person on earth is going to stand before God and give an account for their life? The wicked will not stand. You and I will stand in worship. But a non-Christian will be flat on their knees in abject humility before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They will not stand before the King of Kings. Philippians 2.10 says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. Uh, You and I, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to hear, well done, Thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. The Bible says we are going to receive, each of us, our praise from God. That's what 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says. Can you imagine that? We need to remember our position before God. And we need to weep for those who don't know Christ, who have never had their sins forgiven. At the great white throne judgment, books are going to be opened. And sinners will be banned from the assembly of the righteous. That means heaven for all eternity. You look at verse 5, it says, Sinners will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. That is an incredibly terrifying scripture. If you, if you look, and I don't know if you've ever read 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 1 and verse 8, it just says this, He will punish those who do not know God, and who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they will be punished with everlasting destruction, that's hell, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The worst thing about hell is you're not going to see heaven. The greatest thing about heaven is seeing God. And to not see God, I just can't even imagine going all eternity. What a price to pay. Now the whole point of this is not to like bring you down thinking about the lost, even though they're highlighted here. The point here that the psalmist is trying to bring about by contrast, remember, Hebrew poetry is about contrasts, 
all the time. Get my message and listen to it last Sunday so you can understand Hebrew poetry. But he's trying to make a point. He's trying to, con he's saying, wake up, believer. <laughs> wake up. And do you realize how special you are? Do you realize what God has done in your life? That you are not worthless chaff that's going to be blown away and ultimately sent to hell because of you not receiving the forgiveness that God gives you in Christ Jesus. But you've entered into that relationship, and because of that, you have every reason to absolutely rejoice and be happy. And this is the position number two. The righteous, those in Christ, have every reason to be happy. And he gives us this beautiful, amazing truth that is so, it's, it's one line from the scripture here that is so powerful, I just want to preach on a little bit. And it says this, for the Lord, look at verse 6, watches over the way of the righteous. That is such a beautiful phrase in Scripture. The Lord watches over all your ways. You are the righteous because you're in Christ. You put your faith in Jesus. And because of that, watch this. The Lord watches over all of your ways. All over everything. It's this picture of a loving father watching over the ways of his children. Psalm 121 verse 8 says, The Lord watches over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Let, let me just, I need to give you an illustration of this so you can understand how tender and how amazing this is. Um, <laughs> when I was in the sixth grade, my dad is here. I don't even know if he's going to remember this but I'll never forget it. When I was at the end of my sixth grade is when I started to first notice girls, okay? You remember that? I remember going to sixth grade. From fifth grade to sixth grade, I went to sixth, I go, what happened to these girls? It just, I was like, they're becoming like beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, it just was this moment. And so I, you know, you remember that time. Come on, I'm not the only one. And uh, so I had a friend, and we were both kind of, like, interested in these girls. We didn't know what we were doing, but we're like, we need to go visit these girls at night. So these two girls, like, invited us over. Yeah, come on over. We're like, okay. So I bring my friend over. We spend the night outside in front of the window uh, on this kind of porch area. And then I figured when my dad goes to bed and mom goes to bed, we're going to take off. So we wait until midnight. I'm thinking my dad's asleep. He's in the window watching me the whole time. <laughs> he knows what's going on in the life of this, you know, sixth grader. So here we go. We take off. We start walking down the street. This is in San Ramon, when I lived in San Ramon. And we're walking to these girls' house, my buddy and I. I have no idea, but my dad is following us in his car <laughs> at a distance, stalking me. So we're walking down the street. We come near Neil Armstrong. If you know where that's at, elementary, that's where I went to school. And I see at the far, at, in front of me, a police car come around the corner. And here I am, a sixth grader at midnight, going to some girls' homes, and I just like, I am in trouble. My buddy ditches me, hides in the bushes. <laughs> he literally dies in the bushes. And I'm like, face to face with a cop car. The cop car is coming, coming closer. All of a sudden, I see a car pulled to my left. It's my dad. He throws up in the car. He goes, jump in, Mark. And I jumped in the car, and my dad takes me safely away. I do not, there's no lecture given. 
Here's a loving Heavenly Father understanding. Here's a young man growing up, and he's watching over my ways. Now, I have no idea whatever happened to my friend in the bushes. <laughs> but that kid wasn't your son. I have no idea. He might be there today, okay? But I know I was safely taken care of. Whatever and however much you think God loves you, you've got to multiply that by a billion. Sin is thinking God doesn't love you. The only reason you think that at times is because you're a sinner. God has nothing but pure love for you. You are his child. You are in Christ. And his affection for you is beyond whatever you can imagine. You can't, you can't somehow love God more and he'll love you more. No, no, no. God's love for you will never change. If God changed, he wouldn't be God. God is unchangeable. That's part. It would, he would be imperfect if he changed. His love for you is beyond what you could ever comprehend. And this is the God that says to you, be happy. Because guess what? I watch over all of your ways. To watch this bring you safely home. So last Friday, you have to know I love being a pastor. But I, uh, one of you came to me. You said, can you please go visit my mother? Because uh, she's near going home to be with the Lord. That's such a privilege. That's not a problem. That's a privilege. Of course. I show up to Baywood, walk in the room. There's the family. There's a dear mother. She's a saint. She's put her faith in the Lord. She's coming closer to that moment. And I just walk right up to her. I grab her hands. I say, dear Mary, this is Pastor Mark. Oh, God loves you. I love you. Your family's here. She opens her eyes. And I read several scriptures. One I read is right in your notes. John 14. I said, Mary, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is what Jesus said. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Because Mary, I watch over all of your ways. And now you're in one of those ways where you're nearing to come home with me. And we prayed together and we cried together. It's just so beautiful how God just takes care of us in all the stages of our lives. Be happy. Be happy. Say no to the downward pull of evil. Say yes to God's word and God's way. Meditate. And would you say wow about your favorable position before God? It breaks our heart to think of the wicked. You are not the wicked. You are the righteous. God has saved you by his grace. He's going to watch over you now and forevermore and bring you safely home. And if I get there first, I'll be waiting for you too. Isn't that great? This grand reunion. I love it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we just thank you that 
You see us. We struggle, Lord. There isn't a one of us. We get off track. We get discouraged. Lord, we want this deep-seated Asher happiness. And I thank you, Lord, that you tell us how that comes about. <laughs> we got to do something, though. It just doesn't happen if we passively go through life. We've got to engage. Lord, we do need to say no to the downward pull of evil. And maybe you need to pray a prayer like that right now. Oh, God, give me power to say no to this vortex of evil because it's robbing me of happiness. And maybe you're here and God's just saying, oh, my word is there. Say yes to my word and my way. Say yes to meditating on my word so I can fill your life with my ways and lead you on this path. Maybe that's what you need to pray. Or maybe you just need to say, Lord, I, I just need a different perspective. I have gotten so lost in just forgetting how amazing it is to be your righteous child. That you watch over all my ways. That my eternity is secure. You're my loving heavenly father who watches over me. And maybe you just need to say, Lord, help me to just never forget that, to praise you and worship you because of who I am in relation to you. So Lord, I, I just praise you that you hear our prayer. Lord, let us ever turn to this psalm, I pray, if ever happiness does elude us, let us come back to these principles that guide us, that shed lights on our path to be praisers of you who live happy lives because we've allowed this, your truth, to lead us forward in this area. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Awesome.